Well, good morning. Are you all awake? Fantastic. Almost. Let's let the coffee kick in. You can turn in your scriptures to Acts 17. We're going to be in verses 1 through 9 today. Acts 17, 1 through 9. And before we get going, we have something special for you to observe. And my big question for you today is kind of simple. How does Jesus turn your world upside down? How does Jesus turn your world upside down? Because what we're going to watch today, what we're going to see out of the story in Acts, is Paul and his team are now moving out of Philippi. They kind of blitz through a couple towns there in, in Greece, and they end up at a, the huge metropolis of Thessalonica. It's a port town, and everything was happening in Thessalonica. And we'll see some familiar things as we get into the text. And so as we looked at that this week, and, and in my study, I was saying, well, what is coming out? Because so much of what we're going to see today is what we keep seeing over and over and over as far as Paul and his team's ministry on this second missionary journey. One thing that stood out to me was a phrase that's in our text today. And really what I want to do is I want to parlay that into each one today asking, how does Jesus turn my world upside down? So let's watch this real quickly. So the thing that I find fascinating about that, and I don't know why it clicked 
last night. But you often hear me talk about how someone moves from being an unbeliever into the kingdom, that which was ridiculous, that which Scripture says, Paul says to the Corinthian church, is foolishness to the point of being uh, of such belief and conviction that they're willing to make life changes, to sacrifice, to die. How do you do that? How do you have a thief that sees Jesus clearly for who he is and a, a thief probably at the same distance who doesn't see him at all? How is it today we'll look at this group and some get Jesus and some are reviled by Him? And I think that video helps me understand a little bit. I think a lot of people, because of their perspective, they just don't see Jesus. Right? They've got Jesus flipped upside down. And they just don't see Him. And think about that moment when he turned it over. Some of you have seen that video before, but think about for you when he turned it over and all of a sudden you realized. I think that's the closest moment I can take us to as a group of what it's like to come to faith. Where there is this moment that you really can't describe, but it just makes sense, right? So this morning as we look at this passage... I've got several things I want to run, run you through. Jesus turns your world upside down. Can you think of ways that He turns your world upside down? Are you living life differently? Do you make choices differently? Do you love people differently? If you didn't love Jesus, would you be here this morning instead of on a golf course? Or shopping? Or wait for it, let me get all of you. Sleeping. <laughs> some, some of us are still sleeping, which we need to refer to Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Anyway, I've got several things I want us to, to think through as we look at the text. I went through the text and I looked for some very specific things that stood out as to how did Paul and his team turn the world of Thessalonica upside down. Because we'll get to that very, that very Scripture where the people who are all twisted up about the message of Christ, these are their very words to the authorities. How did they get there? Because so many things had flipped upside down because of Jesus Christ just in a few short days of Paul and his team talking about Jesus. So let's see how they did it, shall we? Let's do the proverbial whodunit. How does Jesus turn your world upside down? We're going to get to the personalization of this at the end of the message today. But number one, we see that it happens through reasoning. Let's pick it up. Verse 1 and 2. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a what? A synagogue of the Jews. We're back in business, boys. No more small town, backwater Philippi. There's an actual synagogue here. Let's go back to what we know. So he goes right into the synagogue. And it says, and Paul went in as was his what? Custom. 
Now think about that. We've talked about that over the past few weeks. That this was Paul's custom. This was how, this was their ministry strategy, right? And so in Philippi, they had to make a shift. They had to go down by the river. Yeah, it's one of the things that's really stuck this year so far. Right? They had to go down by the river. So, you know, sometimes in our own lives we find this freshness, this uniqueness, where God works in in unique ways, right? The Holy Spirit works in unique ways. That doesn't mean that the patterns that we had built in foundationally were wrong. Right? Paul goes right back to his custom. Because it works. Where there is a synagogue, that's where Paul and his team are going to start. So what happens? And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, who I proclaim to you, is the Christ. There's his message. Now there's a key word here. It's this word reasoned. And and any of you speak Greek? Any Greek speakers? All right, then I'm not going to bother with the transliteration. I'm just going to tell you that this means to debate. To debate. And Paul, if you know anything about Paul, he was a great debater. It's kind of his go-back, right? And, and one of the reasons is, is that he was trained in the Hillel school. And one of the, one of the key components of, of Greek teaching or Greek philosophy and the Hillel school of the Pharisees was you sat down at a table and one person took, and this is where we get this from, the devil's advocate position. And there would be a subject, and Paul would be here, the teacher would be here, and they would have to argue this and reason, this is this word, have to reason their position. And so Paul, this is his wheelhouse. This is where he lives. And says he did it for three Sabbaths, so he's there for three weeks. And what is he talking about? What is he reasoning? What is he debating over? Well, he's speaking to Jews that are holding to the law. He's speaking to Jews who hold to the ceremony, who hold to the synagogue, who hold to the priest, who hold to all those things. And so Paul comes along and he says, let me tell you how all that you hold to has been fulfilled. It's all been fulfilled. And it took three weeks to have some breakthroughs. Sometimes we get to a point of saying, I've been doing this for five hours. And I got nothing yet. Right? Or, or I've, I've had coffee with this person, you know, a couple times. And nothing yet. I received a question this past week about, you know, outreach and, and how do we share. And, and in this idea of reasoning, let me give you some key components. All right? Number one, what we learn here is it's Paul that's reasoning. So listen to me carefully because you could really get confused here. Is Paul flying solo? Is he by himself? No. But who's doing the reasoning? The expert's doing the reasoning. The guy who's trained to sit and debate. We don't have Timothy listed. We don't have Luke listed. We don't have Silas listed. We have nobody else listed doing the debating other than who? Paul. 
So just understand, God may not require you and all of your brilliance to be the person to sit down and reason with somebody about the evidential proof of who Jesus Christ is. So you're completely off the hook. Aren't you glad? This is that part of Timothy where it says preachers will say things to tickle the ears of people so that they'll just hang out and love them. So you're complete. Now you're catching my gift of sarcasm, aren't you? So I'm going to give you three resources. Because you should, to a certain level, be equipped to have this conversation. Shouldn't you? This is one of the areas that we're going to be moving into. Shameless plug right now for our quarterly meeting after the service. Free lunch. Right? And then you get to hear a lot about what God's been doing this first quarter, but a lot about where we're going. And we're really praying through, who are we going to be in the fall? Because there's a lot of things changing around here. And one of the things that I am determined to see happen is for us to have two or three major classes that are happening for adults. And, and one of the ways that we can do that is we can do a better job of equipping and, and maybe we sit and help equip. We've got one going right now. I encourage you. How many of you sat under Stephen Gadd's teaching the past four weeks? Right? I just heard from one of the other teachers. I think, Stephen, you're done, right? You got one more week? Oh, two more weeks. Wow, it's extended. It's so good. And so uh, uh, one of the other teachers is like, yeah, uh, at the end of the month, Stephen's got to you know, go, and, and he's got a wedding, and I got to follow him. And he goes, tough act to follow. Right? And, and so the reality is we're training up new leaders here. And they're giving you the ability to be able to do exactly what Paul is doing. I'm going to give you some resources right now that you can read. And I'm going to give you names of authors from easiest to ludicrous speed. All right? One, Lee Strobel. Anything by Lee Strobel. If you want to be able to reason with somebody about who Jesus Christ is, get anything written. Now, if you have a children's book about poppies, I'm not talking about that. I don't know everything that Lee Strobel's written, but anything that says the case for, pick it up. And, and this is written so you can understand it. You can pass it on to people, but you can take those... those um, those understandings, right? Those reasonings. And you can sit and discuss those things with someone. Secondly, now we're upgrading, right? Level, level 200. Actually, that's insulting to say this. This is like level 400. Uh, Ravi Zacharias. Anything by Ravi Zacharias. And, and you can go on YouTube and, and get stuff for free and listen to him. And, and he's got stuff that goes like an hour long. He goes into our major colleges in our, our state systems and debates with the finer, brilliant minds of our 20-year-olds. And, and they get to go to a microphone and ask him a gotcha question. And what's fascinating is he's been doing this for like a decade, and he hasn't been gotcha yet. So anything by Ravi Zacharias. The last one, which is like, again, ludicrous speed, Oz Guinness Fool's Talk. All right? Part of the challenge that we have with this idea of what Paul's doing in the synagogue is we have lost the art of critical thinking. And because we don't feel like we can sit and debate, okay, that's this word reasoning, we don't. 
We don't talk about Jesus. We, sh- we shy away. Now remember, I gave you permission not to be the lead dog, right? I gave you permission. But here's one of the things I'm going to encourage you with under this point, through reasoning. Has your life changed and been turned upside down because of Jesus Christ? Then you have a way to reason about the power of who Jesus is. Amen? So all those resources I just gave you, that's bonus. Just start with your life. But the people that he sat down with, he had to engage according to the Scriptures. You know, Paul's level 1,000 stuff here, and that's why he was the lead dog here. But he, he walks into Thessalonica, he walks into the synagogue, and he starts to turn that world upside down by revealing who Jesus really is. So what happens as a result? Well, Jesus changes things through reasoning. Jesus changes things, flips them upside down in relation to all their social structures. Let's pick it up. And it says this, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Verse 4, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. This is fascinating. So because of the reasoning that Paul presented over the period of three Sabbaths, people listened to a complete stranger and the Holy Spirit used the truth of this reasoning. It it doesn't say he did a sales job. It doesn't say that he promised them riches and glory. It says he reasoned with them from the what? From the scriptures. So those that had a passion to follow God, as he points out, look, here's the prophecy of Messiah. He has come, you just don't know because you live in Thessalonica. I have witnessed him. Let me share who the fulfillment is of all of these scriptures. It is Jesus Christ. And as he reasoned through all of this, it says what? Some Jews believed. It says, and even more, Greeks believed. There's just a thing that you need to be aware, if you're not already aware, that Jews and Greeks, it's like vinegar and oil. It it ain't mixing. It's like LeBron and Steph Curry, right? A collision. But then Luke goes even further and says, and even some leading women. Now, do you, do you see what's happening here? The social structures are being turned upside down. What happens within the dynamic of the Jewish social structure? The man is dominant, rules over the woman. By the way, that's not a biblical thing. Come to my marriage class, I'll explain that deeper. But, but uh, uh, and, and the Greeks definitely aren't deserving of this. We don't associate with the Greeks. They're unclean. Okay? So what happens is Luke says, first of all, those who are Jewish, which is assumed by the way he writes all of this, Jewish men, through reasoning, turn to Christ. But God's not done there. Because where there was an elitism, okay, where there was an elitism with the Jewish structure 
of faith, religion, and how that developed and, and kind of worked itself into your social structure, now all that's broken. And this new truth, this new presentation, the adding on from the old into the new, accepts all. Do you understand that that is how the church proliferated? Because the norms of society were class segregations. Right? What is one of the biggest countries to this day that has huge class segregations? David, could you give us a hint? <laughs> and so imagine India, just, it's just gone. Everybody's on the level playing field. Everybody's valued equally. How revolutionary is this? How upside down did we just turn all of our societal structures? Who do you know? Who do you share life with that you wouldn't normally if it weren't for Jesus Christ? How has your world changed? Let me just, let me just demonstrate this. First of all, most of you I would never get to know if I wasn't a pastor because of Jesus' calling in my life. But we have an incredible life group that meets on Monday nights. And it's such a joy to hear people in my life group as they're leaving say, I'm bringing the snack next week. I love it when other people bring... No. It's a huge joy for me to hear people in our life group say how much they love our life group. And if they miss it, they really miss it. And there's a social structure that's turned on its head. Because I've got Chuck and Pam. There are things I know about Chuck now no person should know. <laughs> and vice versa. <laughs> so I've paid him handsomely some hush money. No, that's, that's a precursor for the end, of the end of the chapter here. But my social structure is flipped on its head. What about yours? Who is it that is so improbable that you are sharing life with because of Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? That's how the church blew up. Because in the face of all societal norms, God says, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither Scythian nor barbarian, there's neither male nor female. We are all unified under Christ. What a beautiful message. What a message our country needs to hear right now. Our church is down in Atlanta. I just got a, a, uh, a news alert from our district supervisor, Neil Brower, talking about how our free churches and the other churches down in Atlanta because of all that was going on. That it, is, it is the predominant problem that these pastors are having to deal with and face. Because of the violence, because of the social structures, because of the class issues, this is something that we're going to be talking about come fall. And, and we'll give you more insight to that. Let's move to our next point. By the way, can you all think of someone that God's kind of turned your, your world upside down and, and you're connected to because of Jesus Christ? I hope so. If not... 
do it. Do it. This church is a magnification of that. It truly is. Next, through persecution. So what happens? So these individuals come to Christ. The whole social structure is flipping on its head. And here it comes again. There are some Jews that don't like it. And so what happens? Let's pick it up. Uh, Verse 5. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. Do you think we have a societal problem? That, That that's how some people were talked about? The rabble. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. Have you ever wondered, you know, people who give biblical names to their kids? And, and some people say, why would you name your child Jason? This is the only place I know of in Scripture where the name Jason, and this guy just got grabbed up and hauled before the authorities, and then he has to post bail. That's what we know about Jason. What are you saying about your child? He's going to be a juvenile delinquent? What's going on? I don't understand, but more power to you. There you go, Jason. Feel good about it, future parents. <laughs> they attacked the house of Jason. We assume that that's because they thought Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were there. That this Jason was a new convert, more than likely, and he was housing them. And it says, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason And some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So the reputation preceded them. Whether it was from Philippi, whether it was from Macedonia, their reputation is preceding them. And the social structure wants them gone. Because we like our control. We like the way things are. We don't care about truth. We don't care about people being freed from the law of sin and death. We just care about our control. Does that sound like some of the the politics that you live under? So, Jason goes through persecution. His world's turned upside down. He didn't really get a whole lot of breathing time to go through like an equipping class, did he? He really didn't get that new believers class. He didn't get a a church membership recognition like we're going to do in a few minutes. No, it's, uh, yeah, I believe. Hey, Paul, Silas, Timothy, you guys come on over. I got room. And then his, his brother Joshua warns him. This is the part I'm making up. His brother Joshua warns him, hey, the whole town, you know, they're coming for him. Get these guys out of here. And it, it certainly seems by the text that the team is, is ushered out the back door, and the only one left is Jason. So we got to grab somebody. Hey, Jason, crash course. Let's turn your world upside down. You accepted Jesus, now you're the target. Welcome to persecution, Jason. Are you going through persecution because of Jesus? Jason came into this step of faith, and he immediately followed persecution. And he's got a a crowd of wicked rabble-rousers and angry Jews that have hauled him, drug him from his house and hauled him to the authorities for harboring quote-unquote criminals. Could this happen to you? 
Well, I'll tell you, most definitely it's happening around the world. And they're not even hauling Christians to authorities. They're just putting them in cages and burning them to death. By the thousands, they're killing Christians just because they're Christians in Nigeria. And this is nothing new. We hear about this all the time. Persecution. What about in your own life? Have you had to face challenging circumstances because of your faith? And your whole world is flipped upside down? Let me share with you, we have no account of Jason recanting and saying, this is not what I signed up for. As a matter of fact, church tradition says that he held on strong and he was part of that Thessalonican church, regardless of the persecution. And why doesn't everybody in Nigeria just say, I didn't sign up for this. You know, forget it. I'm done. Because Jesus in our lowest moments, in our dire moments, provides hope. Do you remember back early in the book of Acts, up in Caesarea, that Herod was encouraged by the Jews again, the crowd, the mob formed. And this early church, the leadership, is causing problems. And so what does he do? He brings Andrew out into the square and has him decapitated. And who's next? Who's waiting in prison? Because if we do this kind of persecution, surely the church will die. They will die off. And yet what happened? Christ emboldened the church even more. Christ takes persecution and flips it on its head. And sometimes Christ acts supernaturally to relieve us of persecution because who's waiting in prison? Who's up next at dawn after Andrew? Peter is. And many of you remember the story that an angel showed up and the, the gates mysteriously opened and, and the incredible Roman security detail was completely blinded. <laughs> and we're not sure what happened to those guys, but they're pretty much out of a job. Probably out of life, too. But Peter just walked right to Oda's house. Now, did Peter eventually suffer persecution? Yes, he did. Was Peter fine with that? Yes, he was. It's said of one of the church fathers, Ignatius, he was burned at the stake and he sang hymns. He sang hymns and considered it a privilege to be martyred for Christ. That takes my idea of persecution and flips it upside down. That really is what it means to know Jesus. And while you and I may not be put into the arena with lions, we may not be put on the stake to burn, we may not be hung on a cross, there are things and events in our lives that test our faith. Pressures. Evil. Brothers and sisters, it is the reality of Jesus Christ that gives us a supernatural strength that never existed before that we might be able to not just get through that persecution, but thrive in that persecution. Amen? Amen. So... Jesus takes persecution and flips it upside down. And just remember that 
because of our faith, there should be. There should be some persecution. Last point is this. Uh Uh-oh, did I really just say this? Yes, folks, we're going to talk politics today. So what happens? And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason, this guy, has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of what? Caesar. How many times do you hear in the news legislation that's twisted in order that the principles of the Bible and God's morality is shut down through legislation because someone's rights are being infringed upon? First of all, Jesus didn't want anybody's rights infringed upon. But you see what's happening here is the same thing that's happening in our state legislatures right now. And and I'll bring out a point of that. There's nothing new under the sun. So they invoke Caesar. Why do they do that? Because they want to put the fear into these political leaders. Hey, hey, you got a problem here. And this is going to get to your higher-ups, so you better do something. It's all politics. It's all politics saying that there is another king, Jesus. First of all, that would not be against the rule of law in Rome because this was not a political king. He was no threat to Caesar. That's why you see Herod pass Jesus off. That's why you see Pilate say, I find no what? I find no guilt in this man. And yet, these guys have nothing to go with, but they try to use inflammatory comments. It's politics. It's politics. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed. See, it works. That's why we do it. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money, because politics always involves the taking of money. Right? Just, you know, we're going to put some pressure on you. But if you pay it off, you know, you just kind of sneak on out of there. There's the back door. There you go. You know, what's interesting is that what if Jason didn't have all that money? Now, this is Pastor Jer's speculation part of the story. What if Jason didn't have the money? How do you think he posted bail, so to speak? Because Jesus worked in the midst of the persecution. Right? Put, your, put yourself into Jason's. I, I just committed to this, and the first thing is I get, a, I get a mob at my front door. I had to send these guys running. It's like, whoa, what did I get myself into? And then they drag you from your house to the authorities and then make all these accusations against you. And you're saying, what did I? And then it's like, okay, I'll tell you what. Give us a little money, and this whole thing can go away. Uh, how am I supposed? And all of a sudden your brothers and sisters in Christ start providing and start providing. Now, it doesn't say that here, but I know of real-life situations currently where that happens. Do you? That's part of what it means to break down the social structures is that we care for everyone as Christ cares for the church, so do we. Amen? So through politics, we see all that happening. Interesting enough there was an effort <laughs> one of the one of the groups that we're going to be taking on there's some structures that are going to be happening you're going to hear a little bit of that maybe this afternoon at the uh, first quarter meeting we have some missionaries that are going to be retiring and so we've been talking about 
you know, what do we, what do, we do? How do we, who are we going to take on? And one of the things that we're talking about doing is uh, putting support into the Pacific Justice Institute. And two years ago, in July, we had Brad Dacus come and share a little bit before we went into a political season. How do we deal with politics? By the way, everybody knows Jesus was a Democrat, right? No, of course, he was a libertarian pastor. <laughs> Jesus espoused a theocracy, folks. God did not shine nicely upon Israel when they kept demanding an earthly king. We've done it to ourselves. But in the midst of this political structure, I, do, I render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but I live in a theocracy. And I encourage you to think about that. But the reality is, is there are things happening within our culture, within our world, and there was uh, some legislation that was happening um, last year where a state senator here in California brought a bill that would require Christian colleges that accept Pell Grants, Cal Grants, any grants, state or federal, that if they didn't stop teaching the biblical principles of God's view on marriage and gender, they would lose all that funding. You know what would happen to those schools if they lose all that funding? Which this state senator is very aware of? They're done. By the way, the Pacific Justice Institute was key in understanding how to deal with this. And they said, you know what's interesting about that is that the number one demographic of the people that will lose out on going to college are minorities if you do this. And all of a sudden, the state senator that was proposing this, who is a minority himself, realized, I'm playing politics. Because we had to be wise as serpents as well. And we had to get in and play politics. This fight is not over. This fight is not over. But the reality is that Jesus can take the political world and turn it upside down. Right? And take the world and turn it upside down. I remember I was at a hat place in the mall getting a hat for an event here, getting it embroidered <clears throat> with like number one champion something. Jesus saves. Um, on the back. I'm sure I did that. And uh, so it was, it was a trophy. I was doing that on November 8th. And I've got a couple young people that are doing this work for me. And all of a sudden this one, one guy says, hey, I just heard Hillary took Florida. We're going to win. I'm like, what? That's not what I saw. So I go back and I look. I'm like, oh, brother. I said, I check your source, you know, look, that's not what happened. And then he just starts cussing a blue streak. And then he starts coming after me thinking, you know, well, if I'm, if I'm just talking about what the results are, then I'm the opposition. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa slow down, buddy, and don't mess up my hat. <laughs> okay? Slow down. I am not the enemy here. I'm just trying to help you. And let me help you out. Those people are not controlling your life and how you respond tonight. You are, and I am. And if you need a hug, come from around the, the counter, and let's hug it out, okay? And uh, 
and you should have seen just the, the contemplation there that these people don't rule my life unless I let them. Do they have influence? Of course they do. But they don't rule my life. So Jesus turns the political world upside down. Amen? Amen. It happened. Paul and his group get out of town. <laughs> now, something I want to share with you is this past week, uh, I read through 1 Thessalonians. Why would I do that? And I, I just want to pass this on to you. You know, Acts corresponds with the writing of some of these epistles and the establishment of these churches. So I encourage you, go back and read through First and Second Thessalonians. You'll kind of get some understanding of who this church was. And it's very interesting because as they leave out the back door of Jason's house and they start heading on to where we'll see them next week, Paul's thinking about them. Paul's thinking about them. And he ends up somewhere else and he's delayed. And so he writes this epistle to him. You know what he does? He sends Timothy to him. Why? Because they need instruction. They need equipping. They need uh, discipling into the maturity of their faith. So who does he send? He sends the baby-faced teenager. Now that's turning the world upside down, isn't it? Wait a minute. Wait, we thought we were getting Paul. No, Paul's busy, still out there pioneering, and he's sending one of his guys, and it's like, uh... Remember the part where Paul says, don't let anybody look down on your youth? This is much later than when he sends Timothy to Thessalonica. And yet that church flourished. That church flourished underneath the young teenager's approach. That's kind of turning the world upside down, isn't it? Would, would you hire a teenager to run your show? Would you sit underneath a teenager's teaching we, are, are you interested in what our, our, our youth would say? We don't know exactly how old Timothy would have been, but it probably somewhere between 16 and 19, maybe even 20. Right? Fascinating. Fascinating. The last point I have today is Jesus turns our living upside down. He turns our living upside down. Look in Ephesians, well, I've got it here for you. Ephesians 4. Don't drink the coffee I've been drinking lately. I, am, I, am, I thought I just saw a tarantula run across the stage. i got some really weird things going on. <laughs> wow, my whole world is upside down. <laughs> Carly, it ran over here, so just be aware when you get up. What on earth? Edit that part out from the video, please. <laughs> if I ever plan on preaching again. So Ephesians 4, 17 through 20. Listen to this. Paul's saying this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. There we go. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, can you put this together with where we've just been in Thessalonica and what's happened for them because Paul sat and reasoned with them? 
right? They were walking in darkness. They were hardened in heart. They hear this truth, and some of them come to faith. Some of them don't, so they're still hardened in heart. And what Paul is saying is that there, there's a change. Jesus will turn your life upside down. This is what it should look like. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your what? Your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through uh, deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Have you ever met somebody who just went upside down? Like their whole life just turned around. It's, it's phenomenal when that happens because of Jesus Christ. When it happens because of Jesus Christ, it happens on a long-term level. You know, I was thinking about, because the Warriors did so well yesterday, I was thinking about playing basketball right after service. What, what is the first thing you would recommend? Don't do it. This is that simple. No, don't. Get a new knee. Yes. Because I tried doing this a week and a half ago and I blew out my left knee. I have a grade one knee sprain because I think at 51, I can run with 25 year olds. And uh, until this year, for the most part, I've been able to do that a little bit. Right now, my body is upside down in many ways. But I'm not going to listen to you. I still want to go. So you think I'm, I'm ready? Right. How many, how many of the Warriors do you see out there playing in jeans? Well, maybe JaVale would do it with like a fanny pack and jeans. But, but uh, yeah, they're not out there playing in jeans. My dad used to take me to track meets. And he always used to get upset at me because I never won. And I finally, I, I told him, Dad, what is the empirical difference between myself and those other kids running next to me. He says, they're winning. I said, no, they're wearing shorts. You've got me in tough skin jeans. Thanks a lot. Buy me a pair of shorts and not some penny loafers to run in, and I might do a little better. Now you've got a visual of me in tough skins. And, yeah, yeah, that is brutal. So how many of you remember Mr. Rogers? So Mr. Rogers would turn everything upside down. And, and he still does for me, right? If I'm somewhat conscious and I want to go unconscious, I put on Mr. Rogers. And within about, I don't think he even finishes his song and I'm already asleep, <laughs> right? But what does he do at the beginning of every episode? Yeah. Changes the sweater, and he, he goes from a what? He goes from, all I know is he goes to a cardigan. But what was he wearing? Like a jacket, a zip jacket, right? So very formal, very IBM, right? Not kid-friendly, that jacket. And so he puts on a soft cardigan. Subliminal message, right? Look, I've got to take the old self and get rid of it and I got to put on the new self. And so he takes off those stodgy penny loafers, you know, whatever, and he puts on what? Aren't they like slippers or something? Yeah, imagine having a job where you get to put on slippers every time you're on TV. 
That'd be great. So, Jay, do you recommend that, that I play basketball in, uh, in my Hugo Boss dress shoes? Yeah. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> Thank you for the encouragement, admonishment, exhortation, or rebuke. I don't know which one. Uh, now, am I ready to play basketball? I got to take my shoes off? Oh, I got to tie them. Yeah, but these are Curry 2.5s. You know, they're so good that they make me so good, I don't even need to tie these things. That's how bad I am at basketball. First of all, let's just get it straight. They never put me in anyway. I'm always just sitting on the bench. So, you know, it's self-effacing day. No, I'm not completely ready. Why am I taking all this time and eating up Carly's valuable worship time? Because this is where we lose. Jesus turns our Christian living upside down by taking the old self, right? And we work with him on that. We put away the old self so that he can bring up the new self. Some of us are only putting on shoes, but we're still wearing sweaters. And we're still wearing zip jackets. And, and we're still wearing slacks. But we think we're really doing it because we put on basketball shoes. Brothers and sisters, if you want Jesus, don't go like this. Don't get tilted in Jesus. Right? You could write that down. That's pretty good. I just came up. Don't get tilted in Jesus. Have him turn your life upside down. In all of these different ways, put on the new self. Let me close in prayer this morning. How many of you were wondering? I know, I know John was wondering, how, when is he going to get to the basketball shoes? Why are there basketball shoes sitting there? That's going to leave an indelible mo- uh, imprint in your mind about that new self. Let me pray and then... Uh, We'll continue in our service today. Father, thank you for uh, this insight into the beginnings of the church in Thessalonica. Thank you, Father, for the faithfulness of new believers like Jason and others, those other brothers that, that are listed there, that in faith faced persecution. Their world was being turned upside down, and yet you were faithful to redeem them. You were faithful to establish them and root them. And they flourished. Father, let us examine and consider how it is that Your Son turns our world upside down. And what is our role in that? Where can we live in that? Thank You, Lord. To You be the glory. Amen.